Hey everybody, welcome to Artist Soapbox. Artist Soapbox is a podcast featuring triangle area artists talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am your host, Tamara Kassane. Hey friends. The Ink Project is a global writer's liaison that elevates the narrative of underrepresented writers and storytelling. How do they do that, and what does that mean? Well, I'm excited to share this conversation with Rimsha Afsal, the founder and artistic director, and Karen Rayner, the managing director of The Ink Project. In this episode, you'll hear Rimsha and Karen discuss the mission and impetus for forming The Ink Project and do a deep dive into one of their programs, the New Voices Program, which is a virtual writing and development seminar. About midway through our conversation, Rimsha outlines the four bullet points that are crucial to upholding the mission of the Inc. Project and how she and Karen achieved clarity around their purpose and direction. This episode is full of encouragement, out-of-the-box thinking, entrepreneurial spirit, program development ideas, and global perspective. I'm so grateful to Rimsha and Karen for the work they are doing See links and details in the show notes. Get ready to take notes on this, friends, and be inspired. Enjoy the episode. Hello, Rimsha. Hello, Karen. How are you today? Hi. We are doing great. How are you? I am doing really well and very excited that spring has sprung around here. And I'm very excited to be talking with you about the Ink Project. We are so excited to to be here. So yeah. thank you. You're welcome. Let's start with what the Ink Project is. I saw on your website that you describe it as a global writer's liaison. So why did you choose that word specifically? The idea of a liaison for us, we just visualized kind of the gap that we were seeing in our day-to-day society. And we can get into more of that a little bit later, but this idea of a liaison is to be this intermediary body between two parties. And for us, those two parties are underrepresented voices, narratives, and publishing companies specifically oriented towards, you know, performance spaces and performance-oriented writing. The idea of liaison was really important to us when we were coming up with our mission. You know, we're not a theater, we're not just a writer's organization, but like being a liaison between those spaces, it was really, really important to us. I think the idea also is important because kind of like what Karen was saying, if we remove the label from being a theater company, if we remove the label from being a writing service, it really opens the door of possibility for what liaisons can actually do in our society, in our community. And our whole outlook is to have a global outreach. So how can we be that intermediary space on a global level? Exactly. I love the specificity and also the breadth that the word offers. And it's clear that you chose it very carefully. Can you talk a little bit about how the Inc. Project formed and how you clarified your purpose and your programming? Yes, absolutely. I can take that one. So I guess I should just introduce myself in the sense of what the Ink Project means to me. I am the founder and the now artistic director of the Ink Project. And to be honest, I cannot believe that this was something that came to me as an idea, you know, back in 2018, actually the coming of 2018. So it was New Year's Eve, if I'm being entirely honest. Mm -hmm. I had read the book, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. I don't know if you've read that, Tamara, but it's this idea when when a creative notion comes to you, she has this beautiful way of personifying ideas. And, and in that sense, I kind of had this idea of, of a writing community mm-hmm. because I have been an actor in the community for what, six, seven years now. And, you know, as a woman and more importantly, as a person of color, I'm of South Asian descent. 
I was only getting asked to do certain roles, very specific roles that, to be honest, like very much constricted my narrative and kind of what others believed my narrative to be. So I was getting asked to do roles like, you know, play the wife of a torture victim. I was getting asked to play roles like refugees, which I loved. I loved sharing those stories, but that was what society had deemed was my bandwidth. Hmm. And it created this existential bummer, this this artistically existential bummer is like the word I throw out there. And I get so worked up talking about it now because I just can't believe I, I, you know, that, that is the problem for so many artists in the area. So I thought to myself, okay, if I'm having this issue, the root cause of this issue is there's just not an abundance one writers out there who kind of fall under the umbrella underrepresented that could be one possible issue. And the second possible issue is, sure, maybe there are the writers, but there aren't enough people who are allowing the stories written by these writers to come to life. And so I thought to myself on New Year's, okay, how am I going to change this? Because I'm not going to go another year feeling this way. And so I was like, okay, if I can't change it myself in terms of you know, hiring myself as an actor, I'm going to create an organization where we empower underrepresented voices to create their own stories. And so that was kind of the baseline for what the Ink Project was initially toned under. And and it and since then it's it's kind of expanded and like you said, that breath has taken on its own form in so many ways. But that was the initial the initial idea was to to leverage and and truly even out the playing field of who's out there. Yeah. yeah and I, <laughs> and I was going to say, I kind of came on towards the beginning and I just, Rimsh and I have always worked really well together. We went to college together and both majored in theater. So we, we had like kind of a working background and, you know, I came in and, you know, for a little bit, it was just the two of us kind of hatching, you know, I was, trying to support her and hatching this idea. And eventually, once everything sort of came to fruition, I fell into the management role, which is pretty natural for me. That's where I, Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's usually where I shine. So, but I loved the idea and you can just tell she's so passionate about it. And like that passion just spilled over onto me. And I was like, yes, this is something I want to be a part of. (laughs) I was really lucky to have someone who, who bought it, you know, because in the beginning, Tamara, it was it was just Karen and I who showed up and did the work, and and that essentially means we would meet up every single week and we would think to ourselves, well, how are we going to get more people involved? How are we going to spread the word out? That was three years ago, and to think that now we've kind of expanded and and shaped this into its own body, and we have a global network, we have a global outreach where we're doing events with partners all around the world. We are conferencing and, and taking part in speaking engagements all around the world. I mean, that to me was kind of just a dream. And to know that it's kind of really starting to take off now is is incredible. That is incredible and really inspirational. Congratulations, because three years is both a short time and a long time, right? To have accomplished so much already and to have, just to have the kind of reach that you're talking about. I wonder if this would be the time that we could talk about the new Voices program. So I want you to to describe it, but my understanding is that it's a program that you are doing in partnership with Raleigh Little Theater. Is that right? That is correct. correct. Could you talk about the program, but also a little bit of like how you decided to do this? Yes, absolutely. Basically, Patrick Torres and I, who is the artistic director of Raleigh Little Theater, he's an incredible, incredible person. Him and I, shortly after the heinous murder of George Floyd and several others, were on a talk back. I think it was more like a panel and it was part of TORN, which stands for Theater on Racist Negativity. Mm-hmm. And it consists of panelists, artists, mostly who identify as BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, who are speaking about their experiences on how we can change theater to be more inclusive. And I was on this this panel with him, and I kind of just plugged myself and said, hey, this is the work that I'm doing. This is the work that I'm, I'm trying to get out there. You know, it's, it's building momentum, and I would love to share with others. And he contacted me afterwards and said, hey, look, we have this corporate grant, and we see a need to 
facilitate a writing program for rising playwrights who identify as either BIPOC or LGBTQIA. And we see a space for you guys to serve as the facilitators for this. And so they essentially gave us the complete creative freedom to build a program design and say, we're going to have this many students. We're going to open the applications to those who identify as BIPOC and or LGBTQIA who are who are interested in writing in whatever degree, whatever writing background they have. And with this corporate spon- sponsorship, we have a corporate sponsorship with Blue Cross Blue Shield, North Carolina. And with this corporate sponsorship, we're not only going to make the application free, make the program free for students to apply, but we're going to compensate our students for taking part in this program. And what that essentially does is it compensates the value of the students and the underrepresented writers who are putting their work out there. So we're really standing by our word in the sense that we're increasing the abundance of writers, underrepresented writers who are out there. Not only does the grant allow us to do that, but it allows us to then recruit professional playwrights from all over the world to come and teach this class. And so with the Blue Cross Blue Shield grant, with the help of Raleigh Little Theater, we've recruited five professional playwrights who have taught specific playwriting geared courses for these eight lucky students. And that has been incredible because they are so credentialed. They're so experimental. They're so talented. And we've got the virtual platform with COVID, thankfully, allows these students to connect with these playwrights who are based in Chicago or New Orleans or DC. And and that's incredible. So the program launched in January and it's going to be complete in, in May. At the end of the program, is there an idea that there would be a draft of something or is it solely for the writers to kind of take this in and then write into their future? Yeah, that is a great question. So it's more so the idea that we are going to kind of have something called a culminating event. So right now, our students are working on their final projects, which consist of you know, full-length plays, monologues, kind of whatever they're working on. And they're going to have a chance to present this to a live audience virtually at the end of May. And this live audience is going to consist of theater leaders in the community. And we're going to have them present live, ten like 10-minute excerpts of live reading of their work. Mm. And it's exciting because we're recruiting directors to direct their work. And so what this does is it gets the attention of all of our theater communities. It puts the the responsibility on them to say, hey, look, these are the writers that are out there. Listen to the talented work they have and and perhaps incorporate that into your into your season as you're considering, you know, what what your season is going to be made up of. There is no shortage here anymore. Yeah. And I love this idea of potentially having a company partner with a playwright and commission their work to develop the piece. And if it's not completed, which, you know, six months is a pretty short time to turn that around. But if it's if it still needs to be workshopped, they could have the support of a local theater or I guess maybe an out-of-town theater to help them workshop that piece into production. And so I, I love that you are putting them in front of people who might continue to support the career of these emerging playwrights. That's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And and the, the other great thing about it is it puts them in network with these professional playwrights who they have now built a great relationship with and they have access to and they can send their work to and get feedback for. I mean, that is so hard to kind of naturally, I'm just thinking back to when I was in high school or when I was in college. And if there was a program that was built for someone, you know, for, for students of color who were considering playwriting, I would have, and who paid me, mm-hmm. I would have hopped on that in an instant, but there wasn't anything like that back then. Yeah, for sure. So I know that this is an inaugural program for you and that you are, you're coming up on the end, but you're still in the midst of it. So this is a little bit of an unfair question, but I'm just going to ask you anyway. Can you talk a little bit about what you've learned through this, what kind of feedback you're getting from the, the playwrights and kind of what light bulbs have gone off through this first process? Yeah. So being 
a part of this program as a facilitator, it's it's given me a really unique opportunity to be a listener. So, you know, this program is for folks who identify as BIPOC and or LGBTQIA+, both of which I am not. <laughs> so being able to hear those perspectives and hear their hear their pieces and hear their discussion has been really valuable for me as an ally. Not that this program is about me, but sometimes it's a little bit intimidating. And, you know, at the beginning, I was a little bit wary of, you know, how do I fit into this, to what I'm doing here? Is this a space where I should be? And I I sort of had to really question it. And I, I mean, I was questioning it up until, you know, we started the program. I was like, are, are people going to be comfortable with me there? And ultimately, I realized that if I'm not doing the work because I'm uncomfortable, then that's making it about myself. Mm-hmm. And being an ally is is sharing your network and listening to people talk about things that make you uncomfortable. And you know, you should feel uncomfortable because most of the folks in this program have probably felt uncomfortable a lot of times in their life where I in spaces where I wouldn't feel uncomfortable. So it's really been kind of a learning process for me how to be a better ally to other communities. And, you know, this is really, I've always been interested in doing this type of work. I've always tried to conduct myself in a way that in an, in an allying way, but being here to specifically do it is a whole different ballgame. So it's been a really great eye-opening experience. And I would say to anybody out there who's kind of in the same boat of like, how do I do this work? Just don't be afraid to do the work. You know, approach it with approach it thoughtfully and carefully, but don't be afraid to do it at all because if you're afraid to do it at all, then it's not going to get done. Yes, an invitation to to walk the walk and and show up. And not that I'm perfect either. I don't want anyone to think that I'm <laughs> setting myself up as like a beacon of allyship, but you know, we all make mistakes and it's okay. Right, right. But the effort, the effort, I think is what you're you're saying. That exactly. Important. Make the effort. <laughs> right, right. Absolutely. What are you hearing from your writers about the experience going through these last several months? I think the biggest thing that we're hearing is that they've gained a sense of community between individuals who are not necessarily around the same age or on their peer level, but kind of in the same artistic space that they are, where they can have open conversations about what is going on in the world and how that can be reflected in their writing, Mm -hmm. how that can be reflected collectively through metaphor, through style, through structure, through voice. And, you know, that kind of collaborative effort is so synergistic to see. And it's, it it truly is like the perfect, beautiful kind of cappuccino like blend between your writing and then, and also just gaining a supportive creative system. Mm. I'm, I'm using the term cappuccino because I'm just thinking about how the milk like froths with like the coffee really well. I mean, I'm drinking right. cappuccino right now, which is what she also <laughs> loves coffee. I was going to say, <laughs> you know, just kind of, and it's that, that's probably the best part to hear because that's not what we were thinking about. You know, we didn't think, Oh, this is going to be a great community for them. We were thinking about, okay, at the very end, this is going to produce wonderful work. They're, they're going to get increased visibility, but to know that in the process, this larger community has been formed. I mean, that's like the best thing you can ask for. I would, I would think, and I would hope for them. Right. I think we we think theater as such a collaborative effort, and there are so many people involved. But there are definitely aspects that are very isolating and lonely. And I think we've all experienced the dysfunction of certain theatrical communities and Mm -hmm. the way in which individual artists can be mistreated, but there isn't that information sharing around it and kind of the support to lift up. I find that my own writing process can sometimes feel very lonely until I actually get into a rehearsal room. And so this idea that I can be in community with people and talk about 
not only the sort of brass tacks of writing, but also just the experience of being a writer and like what that's like Mm. and how to navigate the questions that come up, whether they're technical or personal or related to the community. So I think it's such a gift that you're convening a group of people. Yeah, exactly. I I completely agree. And it's so difficult, I feel, to find a a non-judgmental group of writers that you can feel comfortable sharing your work with. You know, the other day we were talking about the murder of Dante Wright and how that can be kind of transformed in writing Mm. and, and how those emotions can be transcribed in writing through metaphor. I mean, that to, to have an expression level collectively is, is really, I think it opens, it opens a door for us as a society to process what's going on around our world. I don't know. I think that's very useful for a lot of writers. When you engage speakers for the conversations, do you give them something to speak on or do they initiate this? I'm just asking now because I'm completely curious. Like, how does it work? <laughs> okay. Yeah. So our professional playwrights, we, we, we term them as faculty members. So that's a great question. We give them full artistic freedom in developing their own syllabi for the course that they teach. So there's five playwrights. They each teach one session. And we kind of had a faculty orientation in the beginning of the program and said, kind of laid out, these are the parameters, aka there are barely any parameters, you have 90 minutes. <laughs> and a lot of them were concerned that, you know, is there is it going to be iterative information? Is it going to be redundant? What if one faculty is doing this and another? And I said, you know what, do with what, go with what you're passionate about, because that's kind of the best way. And it's, a, it, it's the best way to reach an audience regardless. And each of them have kind of come with different viewpoints on how to do a deep dive into playwriting. So for instance, like one, one playwright talked very heavily on the importance of dramaturgy. One playwright talked very heavily on the importance of free writing. One playwright talked about the importance of metaphor. And then our last playwright is going to be speaking about screenwriting and other forms of writing, how to, you know, various formats of screenwriting, poetry, playwriting, the difference between those avenues. So it's been a great, you know, versatility of content, I would say. Are people working with the individual writers and meeting with them to talk about the progression of their work in between these faculty sessions? Yes. So the program consists of 10 sessions total. So five of them are, you know, are taught by the faculty and then alternating in between the faculty sessions are what we call our reflective sessions, which are facilitated by the Ink Project. Mm -hmm. And we take that time to provide several things for our students. One, we take the time to provide writing labs for them. So setting aside time during class to focus on their culminating event. We discuss plays that are assigned to them that they read that were written by the playwright that taught class prior. And we also take that time to truly reflect on what was taught prior and how that can be incorporated in their culminating event. In addition to that, we host weekly office hours where students drop in and say, hey, you know, I'm really struggling with this idea. I'm really struggling with this portion of my play. How do I, you know, how can I structure this? How can I do do this a little bit differently? Do you have any feedback for us? So those weekly office hours are a good time for students to have one-on-one time. To those reflection sessions in between the faculty presentations, we also do invite the playwright or the faculty member who presented last to come to their reflection session. I think we've only had one faculty member who wasn't able to make it, but it's been really valuable because they don't always have time to ask questions during the 90-minute presentation. It's been really helpful and valuable for the cohort um, or the students, as we call them, the cohort, to have the faculty members there to talk about, okay, so the themes in this play. And you don't always get that. It's it's really interesting to be able to talk to a playwright about their play. And I, I mean, that's just something that I live for as a playwright, right. picking people's brains and really understanding, okay, where did this come from? You know, what were you thinking when you wrote this scene? And the scene really resonated with me. Can you talk more about it? And it's been really cool to to see them get that experience. This is amazing. How are you documenting what is happening during this? 
as a prototype for future cohorts or to share with other companies around the world who want to do this as well? So we record each session in Zoom. So, you know, if anybody's if anybody's late or wasn't able to make it, they get, you know, they're able to watch that back as well as we've been kind of keeping a running tab of feedback and things that we've just sort of been critiquing about the program for ourselves as, you know, the next time we offer this program, what are we going to do differently? We also send a faculty survey out after each faculty presentation, just so they can talk a little bit about their experience and, you know, give us some honest feedback of where we can improve. I believe we're planning to do that with the cohort as well once they've completed all of the sessions. Rimsha, if you want to talk a little bit about how we're getting the word out there that this program is a thing. So I think the best way that we're trying to get our word out is by calling the attention of our corporate leaders. And by corporate leaders, I mean organizations who are interested in putting putting the funds, allocating the funds where we see gaps in our society. We're incredibly grateful to Blue Cross Blue Shield for what they have done. If it wasn't for their support or ROT support, we would not have been able to kind of continue and complete this program design. And we're only hopeful, we're only hopeful that that relationship um, and the sponsorship can continue to grow. Now in terms where the Inc. Project is going in, in terms of how we see ourselves going into the corporate world, that's, that's a separate conversation, but at least with the New Voices program, that opportunity can only continue with the help of our society. And so by documenting what's going on, by having these Zoom recordings, by having the faculty surveys, by getting out the students' work, we can you know really call attention to all the work that has just been done in what? four months mm. and, and, and hope that you know other students can have this opportunity. This is such a huge program and such a huge effort, but I know it is not the only thing that you do through the Inc. Project. So can you talk a little bit more about some of the other, I'm going to call them global initiatives related to your liaisoning? So at the Inc. Project, we have a mission to elevate unheard voices. That's how we serve as a global writer's liaison. And we kind of identify as a social justice arts organization in addition to that in order to bring, you know, equity to performance-oriented platforms. Now, we do that through four ways. And those four ways are truly, like, if you were to not listen to anything in this podcast, this is probably the most important part that you can just take away from in terms of who we are. And I am, as if you cannot tell, just super passionate about this because every single deliverable that we put out there I feel is very novel to what's been done. And, and it, it really, our goal is to really even out the playing field with these four bullet points. So the first bullet point or deliverable, I want to say objective that we put out there that we're very proud of kind of owning is we host showcasing events that specifically offer preference to underrepresented writers. And we define underrepresented as those who identify as BIPOC, LGBTQIA, members of the disability community, and female identifying artists. And so in those showcasing events, we partner up with organizations kind of all over the world. And so for instance, back in the fall, we had an incredible event called Dear 2020, which was a live poetry event. We partnered up with PEN America, which is a literary arts organization based in New York City, and they stand at the intersection of literary arts and human activism. And that kind of really aligned with our mission as well. And so with this partnership, we kind of launched Tier 2020, and we had a set of 12 poets who all spoke about their reflection of the year 2020 through poetry. And it was beautiful. And we had artists all over the country. We had artists from Arizona, from California, from New York City. We had a poet come from Indonesia to join us. And she said something really beautiful about her friends being impacted by COVID-19 around her. Mm. And, and we had audience members all over the world. I mean, that was the most beautiful part is like seeing that, you know, individuals are hearing that little old ink project based in North Carolina, all from Pakistan and Canada and London. And, and, and to, to see that this could not only take a local level, but all of a sudden go to a global level was shocking to me. 
in the span of, you know, one year. And so the second event that we have coming up is called Embrace 2021. So it has a very similar ring to it. And Embrace 2021 is going to be a partnership with P3, Poetic People Power, which is a, again, a poetry company, poetry activism company based in New York City, Manhattan specifically. And we're partnering up with them to launch this incredible event. It's also going to feature new poets who are developing new work and talking about how they can both reclaim and restore 2021. And in this recruitment of poets, we offer that preference. Not necessarily, I don't want to say preference, but in order to kind of even at the playing field, we make sure that we have a diversity of narrative as well. So that's the first bullet point. The second bullet point, which really speaks to our liaison nature, is that four times a year, we collect 100 play submissions. So 25 per quarter, essentially, from those underrepresented community members. And we essentially say, hey, if you have a play that you've written, give that to us. We'll put it in our archive. Obviously, it's make sure that it's copyrighted and everything. We'll add that to our archive. And then we'll share it with our networking spaces and say, hey, this person just created this incredible play. You can read it. Add that into your season if possible. And we do this at absolutely no charge. Mm. And that's really exciting because we specifically do not charge our, I don't want to say clients, but our community members for taking advantage of this service. The third is, and this kind of characterizes the new voices program is we curate, facilitate writing and development seminars for underrepresented writers. So perfectly describes the new voices program. And I actually have one of my ideal goals for the Inc. Project is to take the New Voices program and go a step further. And I want to reach communities that are in Sri Lanka, that are in India, that are in Spain. And I want to host writing and develop, development seminars in, in those communities as well, where we can take, you know, meet incredible people who are, are also in the works of trying to have their work better heard, represented, and, and, and whatnot. And then the last kind of token, this is just a bow tie for everything, but the last deliverable that we take a lot of pride in is promoting geographic inclusivity by uphold, upholding a completely digital platform. Hmm. All of our events are virtual. All of our events are accessible to anyone, no matter what time zone you're in. Actually, the reason why this kind of became a, such an important factor to us is because our, our the, the Ink Project really grew during COVID-19 because we realized that there aren't any constraints when locale is not considered anymore. Karen and I are actually going to be going to Mexico City the end of June to actually speak about this at the LNDA conference. The LNDA conference is the Literary Managers and Dramaturge of America. And they kind of have this amazing annual conference where they put the spotlight on dramaturgs, on playwrights and say, hey, how can we improve in our society globally? And so we talked about in our proposal, you know, the importance of virtual platform in kind of amplifying voices and empowering underrepresented narratives. And so that's a very exciting opportunity for us as well to once again serve as a liaison in the, in the global space. And we're super excited for that one. Thank you for such a comprehensive overview of what the Ink Project is about. I think that's really helpful. And part of what that brings up for me is the question, at what point did you come up with these four bullet points? Do you have any insight into how you put this together so clearly and concisely? I think it's twofold. I honestly think that we were able to come across those deliverables. I just want to say not overnight. It was the prioritization, having a very keen eye of what was happening in society. I mean, truly, like the best advice that we got was just tuning into the news, tuning into what was going on, listening to our own experiences and saying what would have been helpful for me, what would have been helpful for my peers, or what is going to be helpful for the generation before us. And then lastly, what, where are we headed as a global society that we can all benefit from something like this? I really think it's about asking those hard questions. And for me, honestly, Tamara, like sometimes I, I wake up in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. and I'm like, oh my gosh, 
this would have been, this needs to be part of our mission. And I'll write it in my phone. I'll write it in my notes. And then I have to kind of tell Karen about it the next morning. I was going to say, or she'll text me and I'll get it the next morning. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so, so I just, it wasn't like, okay, this is going to be the four things and that's it. It was, it was something that developed very slowly over, over time, like promoting geographic, the fourth bullet that didn't develop until COVID because we were like, wow, people are saying COVID-19 has all these restrictions, which believe me, it absolutely does. It's been a very difficult year. But if you kind of spin it the other way, it's like, wow, imagine what can happen if anyone can tune in from anywhere. Mm-hmm. And I'll, I'll get into this a little bit when, when we talk about where we see the Ink Project going, but that's kind of my idea. And so, and then upholding an artistic liaison by accepting play submissions. I mean, that was something that answered my existential crisis back three years ago. And we finally found a way to articulate it. It was like, well, what if we just kind of let people come to us and say, hey, if we're in this play, can you add it to your archives and then present it to your networks? That would be incredible. But in, in another term, that's called an agent and agent's you know, do require a bit of money. Mm-hmm. And usually underrepresented writers usually identify as as, as low, the low income population. So you had to, we had to keep those demographics in mind and say, you know what, there's going to be no charge to this. Mm-hmm. Something that I come across a lot when people ask me what I do <laughs> is that people, when I explain what the Ink Project is to people, sometimes it can feel like it's a very nebulous thing to both people inside of the theater community and outside of the theater community. Because once again, it's like, well, what, what do you guys do? But once you kind of break it down is the way that Rimsha has so comprehensively, it's really not that nebulous. It's actually very specific. And it, I mean, it really just boils down to, it was a response to a need, a very deep, profound need in performance-oriented writing for more inclusivity and more representation. And that's, you know, that's kind of the way that I could say, I mean, that's essentially what Rumsha was saying earlier, but that's, that is the main way that we came across this mission is, and I think that most nonprofits or organizations like the Ink Project, they're always going to respond to a need. So I would say, you know, to anybody who sees a need like that, no matter what you think the limitations are, just go for it and and don't worry about what other people might think. Because again, I get a lot of raised eyebrows. It's like, so you guys are a liaison and you're global, but you're in North Carolina. And it's like, well, yeah, but you know, everything's online now. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point because we do get that point of confusion a lot. And I think the global part is really important for me to emphasize. We don't want to put out that we're global because we want to reach a global network. Sure, that is a part of it. But I think it really came back to my identity and and, and how I was raised and, and who I am as a person is I am someone that identifies with so many narratives, with so many identities. My parents immigrated from India back in the 80s. And they were a minority in the sense that they're Muslim. So, so they kind of felt like, okay, India was kind of a home, but they were a minority and they moved to America and it was kind of a home, but they're still a minority. And so that in me, for them, they moved all throughout the United States when they moved to America and then they finally settled in North Carolina. And I kind of grew up traveling Mm -hmm. with my parents. And then after school, you know, I lived in London, I lived in Indonesia, I've lived, you know, in North Carolina and then kind of just traveled a whole bunch to Singapore, to Malaysia, to Saudi Arabia. And in those experiences, like I, I think there is just this unanimous or what's the better word to say, like a uniform dialogue that we all speak to one another. And I was actually having this conversation with my, with my boss in Indonesia. And, you know, we both were talking about how we're both Muslim women, but we can come at it from a Western perspective and she can come at it from Eastern perspective and we can still land on the same ethos. Mm-hmm. And like, I, I'm, I'm honestly getting shivers like talking about this because that is so powerful to me. You know, that's the global language that I want to bring 
to the Inc. project. That's what I mean when I say global writers liaison is we're all global citizens of the world and we don't have to have this disconnect because truly writing and art, that's the, that's the last connection we have. You know, that's the most foundational connection we have with one another. And so I did have to meditate a lot on my identity and where I've come from and, and how I identify as a, you know, first generation American Muslim Indian to, to, to solidify that that mission for the Ink Project. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. I know that you are both playwrights, and I'm wondering, can you still write as a, as a playwright and manage the Ink Project at the same time? Like, Are you sacrificing your own artistic work, or has this become your artistic work? Speaking of identity, how do you still identify now that this is really rolling along? Wow, that is such a good question. Very deep question. Oh, wow. Gosh, I hate that I have to admit this, but it's so true. I was just thinking about this last night. The answer to that is yes. I I 100% feel like I've had to sacrifice a good bit of that artistic spontaneity I had as like simply an actor or simply a playwright. And now that I'm in kind of like the business startup-y mindset, yes, because I feel like the responsibility has just grown, mm-hmm. you know, like the responsibility, my attention focus is so geared towards growing this that if I just try to get a quiet space and write, I'm so flooded with vision ideas and where this needs to go as, as a, in reality versus what can still happen in the fictional world. And I'm really glad that you bring that to my attention again, Tamara, because I don't want to discourage people out there if they're kind of experiencing something very similar, if they're, you know, trying to start a business or are entrepreneurs in some way like we are, is like, I think it just takes an active, intentional, deliberate effort to turn that around and, and to make room for that. You know, like, sometimes Karen and I, take the new voices program class we just turn off our cameras while the playwrights are speaking Mm -hmm. and we take that class as if we're the students as well and that in and of itself is just i mean we had class on monday and i was just sitting there i'm like oh man i I do love this so i think it takes a deliberate effort to to make time for that and, and to never forget kind of what that identity is because if you can't connect to your global audience as an artist and you can only connect to them as a business person and that's a disconnect as well. So I'm glad you bring that to my attention. <laughs> you are right, Ramsha, because I I completely feel the same way. And I think it's I think it's okay for us to be there because we're so we're doing a lot right now. <laughs> but I will say that the beginning of the Ink Project, those first days where Ramsha and I were meeting weekly, sometimes with others, sometimes not, and we were just coming together and giving ourselves space to write was so good for me. I mean, it gave me my play. I was, I had been working on a play for like a year or two. And when the ink project came about, I was like, wow, what a great idea. I'm going to make time for this. And I, you know, in the, those early days in 2018, I finished my first draft of my play and I haven't had a chance to do a staged reading or anything like that yet. But the ink project did give me that. And I, you can never take that, you know, I should never try and take that away from myself because as Rimsha said, identifying with the people who are part of what we do at the Ink Project in an artist capacity is so important and being able to say, hey, the Ink Project, you know, I I did this for myself, but the Ink Project gave me the time and the space to do it is so powerful for me to think about when I'm talking to, you know, members of the cohort or the faculty members. And I mean, it really is the truth. Had it not been for the Ink Project, I don't know if I would have ever made time for that play mm-hmm. to finish it. The metaphor that comes to mind, it's a little strained, but so I have two children and I always talk about how essential it is to have other adults in our lives who love our children as much as we do as parents, mm-hmm. but aren't mm-hmm. the parents. Like those people, they're just gold, they're treasures because they have some distance, but they also, they're all in. Like they're totally committed. They love the kids. They're there for the parents. And so I feel like having 
having people around who have been in the trenches of playwriting, who know the value of that, who know what it feels like to be a writer, those are the best people to ha- for writers to have around, you know? Mm-hmm. And for me, just personally, sometimes I feel like I'm straddling too many lanes and then I'm giving short shrift to all of them because it's like, I want to mm. be... I want to be a playwright 100%. I also want to be the founder of Artist Soapbox 100%. And that just mm. doesn't make sense. Like they both <laughs> they both suffer, you know, because we just can't split ourselves into so many different pieces. So in those moments what I try to tell myself is really it's about A priorities and B about the season that I'm in right now. So sometimes we have seasons where we can do this type of work and sometimes we have seasons where we can do the other type of work. And I guess also what you were talking about, which is sort of the need, it's answering the the need that is out there and sort of rising to that when you need to and kind of prioritizing mm. that. I love that metaphor. <laughs> It always comes back to, unfortunately or fortunately, always comes back to my children. It's like my permanent, <laughs> my permanent lenses, you know, are in front of my face. You're like, we get it, mom. we get it. <laughs> so let's talk about where you see the Ink Project going next. And as we wrap, let's not forget to include how people can be in touch with you, follow your work, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I get very excited talking about this question. Because I've been kind of ruminating about it for a while. It's just been marinating in my head. But we see ourselves transforming in, I would say, three to five years in being completely a, a digital application that we can, with Android or Apple, you can download on your phone. And I feel like when I say that to people, they kind of, had this question mark on their face. And so I'll take this time to elaborate in case some listeners right now are like, well, I did not see that <laughs> taking a technical turn. <laughs> the idea there is if we put ourselves in everyone's shoes, the one thing, if we're thinking about representation, if we're thinking about equality, if we're thinking very importantly about access, who has access to better representation and visibility. It's its really everyone, it boils down to who has a phone. You know, mm. approximately most people in the world have a phone or some kind of Android, Apple device where they can easily download an app and go about their life. We download, app, download apps for everything nowadays. You can download your app for you know, what to, what to cook tomorrow for exercise. I mean, so many things. And so this idea of taking the ink project to the app is literally putting opportunity at the creator, the creative's fingertips. So I'm imagine myself, I think back to when I was in Indonesia, and I think back to when I was in Depok, and I think back to, you know, walking down the street and seeing, you know, teenage kids out with their phones Maybe they're jamming, maybe they're, you know, kind of like talking about music or something like that. And they say, hey, you know, I really, I wrote this song. I really want to get it out there. How can I do that? I don't, I can't afford an agent. I can't afford, for some people, it's, I can't afford to get out of, out out of Dipak. How do I, how do I get to Los Angeles to go, you know, meet a record label or something? I'm, I'm taking this to another extreme, but this idea that you can download this app and without no charge, upload the work that you've created. And then automatically be put in a network of artists that can then give you feedback that can say, hey, I really have a great opportunity for you. I mean, that's kind of where I see this going. And I see this being a completely like free application where anyone can have access to no matter where you are in the world. And that really excites me. I see another thing that I see ourselves going is right now the New Voices program is the only class that we're doing. And I kind of talked about this earlier, but in three to five years, I see that we've expanded one class to about four or five classes per year. And I see them being all over the world. I see them being in Spain. I see them being in India, my parents' hometown. I see them being in you know rural Texas. I see them being in South America. I, I see them being in areas kind of where they can be shifting each year where we offer these classes to different communities and kind of make sure they're adjusted to to culturally match 
those communities and to benefit those communities in the fullest form. And then last but not least, we are growing our team. And so we're looking for, you know, interns, we're looking for individuals worldwide. That's a great thing is like our hiring opportunities. You do not have to be based anywhere near Karen and I. We're looking for people all over the country. We're looking for people all over the world that can help us grow our team, help us with social media, help us with fundraising and budgeting and all those sorts of things. And so if you're interested, be sure to hit us up at www.theinkproject.com or our email at theinkprojectnc at gmail.com. You can also keep up with us on Instagram. That's the main platform that we use. And our handle there is the Ink Project Global, all one word. Wonderful. Is there anything else you'd like to touch on before we wrap? I just want to say that if you're someone who is sitting in your room right now and you're feeling artistically bummed because just something isn't fitting right and you're not feeling creatively fulfilled, you don't feel like there's an opportunity out there for you or someone like you, that voice isn't going to go away. It's just going to get louder. And I urge you to listen to it because you have no idea what can come out of it. And silly things like imposter syndrome that, trust me, feel very much real are in there, are there to impede us, but they're not there to stop us. And and I highly, highly want to motivate anyone out there, regardless where you're from, what age you are, you know, what experience you have to listen to that voice because she, he, they is is only going to get louder and louder. Yeah. I mean, if if you find that there is not space for something that you want to do or a voice that is inside of you, create the space even if you don't think that it's possible, even if you have a thousand doubts in your head, creating that space is really important because other people are going to see that and say, Hey, I feel the same way. Let me join you. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, that's 100% what is happening with the Ink Project. And if we let those doubts and insecurities stop us and we wouldn't be here (laughs) and it's not always easy, but it is really, really rewarding. Thank you both so much for this conversation. I feel like my hair's on fire over here in in a really good kind of way. I just appreciate the boldness and the audaciousness and it's so exciting. I'm grateful for your time and your work and your energy and for talking on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us on. Seriously, we we loved having this conversation with you and we so appreciate for you for letting us speak about this. Did you know that Artist Soapbox turns four years old this year? If you've found value, inspiration, education, commiseration, or just a laugh, please become a patron and help us do all the things we hope to do for you. There are links in the show notes about ways to support Artist Soapbox, or you can go directly to patreon.com slash artist soapbox. Thanks so much.